It's time to experience the Synergy Connection Show with your host, Lucy Forsting. Good morning, everyone. Welcome to the Synergy Connection Show, where we do our very best to connect the dots between our intellectual, physical, emotional, and spiritual facets. And we are complicated human beings. Uh, We don't think that we are sometimes, but boy, are we ever. And uh, so the show tries to help bring a lot of information to cover various aspects of who we are. You know, here we are into almost November of 2021. And we are still talking about health and wellness and the different variants. And I guess there's now a variant on one of the variants, which is the Delta virus. Um, And I just, you know, I have to keep saying to everybody that if you go to my website, it's www.synergyconnectionradio.com and you click on the Boomer banner, it will take you into their website. And you can look at their amazing products. I have used them for over four years. Um, I tell everybody that you want to know two numbers. And those two numbers are your D as in dog, three, and your C reactive protein number. And these are simple little blood tests. Anytime you have a physical, you can ask because they will not give them to you unless you do ask to have them done. Um, So again, D is in dog three and C reactive protein. The D test is your immune system and you want your number to be above 70. Uh, I will tell you that mine is an 80. And um, so my immune system is able to handle viruses, bacteria, infections, things like that much better than let's say the average person. The average person, when you go in, your D3 is probably going to be around 45. And that means you do need to be taking, in my estimation at least, a minimum of 5,000 international units of D3. We have to have D3 in our life every single day. And most of us are not in the sunshine enough to um, have our bodies make D3. So that's number one. Number two, the C-reactive protein is a level of inflammation. And you want that number to be below one, mine is a 0.3. So I have very little inflammation in my body. And the way you get inflammation out is through diet or through supplements. Um, The one I use is the uh, gladiator barley and the barley actually improves muscle tone. After the age of 50, we lose 1% of our muscle mass every single year. And so if you're hitting 70, um, you've lost 20%. And that's what holds you upright. (laughs) So you need to have that muscle tone. Um, Also, inflammation is the source of all disease. And so please, you know, consider getting that test because if your inflammation level is up around three or four, you need to be getting it down. And uh, the barley will do that. It does reduce inflammation. It also takes toxins out of the body. And uh, as I said, it rebuilds muscle. So those are two products that I use faithfully. There's a lot of wonderful ones that they have, but those are two that I absolutely would not be without. All righty. So we're going to be facing, I think, I don't know, viruses for some time to come. I never would have dreamed that it would have gone on for almost two years. And here we are. And uh, as we approach 2022, you know, it's two years ago that COVID-19 made its appearance on everybody's radar. I have an amazing person with me today. Um, I met her when I went back to Wisconsin and um, we played phone tag for a while. And then we finally were able to uh, get to a point where we knew we were going to actually meet. And her name is Michelle Danforth um, hyphen Anderson. And Michelle is actually going to be doing a TED Talk this coming Sunday. So you'll be able to um, check her out there as well. But um, she is the marketing and tourism director for the Oneida Nation of Wisconsin. And when I was living in Wisconsin, I did work 
as a therapist with a number of Oneida families. And so she and I talked about that a little bit. Um, she is also the regional Emmy-nominated film producer of documentary films and has been with the Oneida Nation for 13 years. And she's very creative. We talked while we were doing a tour of the Longhouse and the village that's there about some of the things that she wants to have happen uh, to bring attention to the history of the nation. So I am thrilled to have you, Michelle. And I guess we're gonna be talking about your Oneida native dreams. So welcome to the show. Thank you for having me. I really appreciate the, the time and your super energy. I just love it since I've met you. So glad to be here. I'm glad to have you here. When you say that it's um, a native dream, what do you actually mean by that? Like your native dream is it going to be similar to everybody's native dream or do you feel like yours is a very personal dream? Um, so when I say a native dream, it's, um, it's essentially, so Oneida or Oneotiaga, which means uh, people of standing stone, um, is something that I am and it's within me. And it's one of the things that drives pretty much everything that I do on a daily basis um, for our tribe and many people within the tribe, it's always about the seventh generation. So when we do stuff today, the whole intent is that it will be or affect people seven generations to come. And for me, it's a little personal um, because of the simple fact that I didn't grow up uh, in Oneida. I came here um, after I graduated college, but when I was in high school, and as a child, I spent a lot of time in the summers uh, here with my aunt and uncle, John and Wilma Danforth. And, um, and I had a blast. I really had a blast. And I knew going through school that this was where I was going to live when I graduated. So um, I've always had this like special connection to Oneida. And I just, I just really feel like um, everything that I'm doing just makes me feel so good. And it's just, it's a joy to, to be able to take Oneida and do a lot of different things with our culture and our history and everything that it has to offer. Now, I know when um, you and I were together and you were, you know, giving us the tour, uh, you really get into the history, you know, that goes all the way back. And it, if I understood correctly from what you had sent me, those um, 3D of uh, the talking um, pictures that were in the office area where we met you, it was like Harry Potter. It, it was very much like that. And so you're responsible for making those happen? Um, so, so for us, um, we did hire a company that ultimately made um, those videos, but that idea actually came to us in March of 2020 when, uh, you know, the pandemic was, you know, just starting to mm -hmm. kick in. And unfortunately, a bunch of employees here had to go on furlough. And we kept thinking about, oh my gosh, what if this is, you know, continues? How are we going to be able to give tours? And um, a lot of people here in our building really like Harry Potter. And we brought up the, the talking paintings and we're like, what if we had a bunch of paintings and <laughs> right. I just loved it. And so we came up with um, uh, three different uh, paintings or painting series to represent um, three different time periods, um, which ties into the history part of it. Because what if we are unable to actually give the tour in the log homes? You still want people to be able to go through, but if I can't be face to face, well then, we can do these really cool um, talking paintings. And so uh, we did a set with um, Daniel, uh, Chief Daniel Bread and uh, John Archicot. Daniel Bread was more from the uh, late 1800s or the, uh, sorry, early 1800s uh, through about the 1860s. And he was really responsible for kind of being this liaison. He was Oneida, he was a liaison to actually help the Oneida people basically pack their belongings, 
get a ticket to get on a boat and to get here. Um, he was in New York for, for a number of years. Uh, after 1823, that was when our first families actually moved here. Um, he was in New York for a number of years and then he moved here and he built a really large house so that he could host the families when they first came to Oneida um, so he could help them get situated and uh, you know build a log home because this was the wild wild west there was there wasn't anything here there was there was maybe a trail that went into green bay but there wasn't it's not like you can roll up today and be you know realtor.com and look up a house (laughs) i mean literally you have to clear it was a lot of white pines and forests so you literally have to clear land to first build a home and then clear land to actually be able to farm. Well, and you have a very limited amount of time that the weather cooperates. So you've got maybe six months where you can actually do a lot of that. And then you have to be working inside. Right. So, so uh, he was one of the gentlemen and we have another guy, his name is John Articat. And he was more um, from the 1860s through the early 1900s and he was actually a police constable so what we do with these harry potter talking paintings is just like in the movie they interact with with each other and um at one point john archicket will even walk through a painting that's in between them of people shelling corn to go get a folder or his journal from Daniel bread and walk back. So it, mm-hmm. it's kind of fun moving uh, technology that takes history and, and really brings it alive. Um, and then, you know, we're going to do a, a cup, a few more, and uh, we're doing a set uh, with Rosamond Oka Hill. She was the first native uh, woman doctor and she was, she was not Oneida, but she was Mohawk and she had married a Oneida gentleman and back in Philadelphia, and she moved here, which was fantastic for our people. And then um, the other one that's going to be in that log home, so we can have, again, that interaction between two individuals is um, Josiah Paulus. So he was also a doctor who um, had gotten killed in World War I. So it'll be this nice kind of back and forth between the two of them, and you learn a little bit of history about the health care of tribal members. We had a little hospital, but nobody wanted to go to the hospital because they said you would go to the hospital to die. You would go in one door and they would pull you out of in a pine box out the back. So, oh, okay. um, and then our last story has to do with the boarding school era, which was in the late 1800s. And essentially it was um, the thought that they needed to save these children. So they would remove them from homes. They would cut their hair. You would be punished for um, speaking Oneida language. Um, it, was, it was not a very good situation for a lot of children. There were children that have died, which has kind of crept up uh, lately. Uh, a lot of news in Canada about, you know, finding children's bodies behind uh, boarding schools, but we had one right here in the center of Oneida, and we do have grave um, sites that are behind um, that particular building that's that's still there. So, um, but then again, for other children, there's there's two sides of the story. Other children, it was a warm bed, it was food and shelter. So um, there's there's definitely a spectrum of of for both the good and not so good for the boarding school era but we we do have a story that's coming out for to represent that particular story too with the talking paintings i think that was just so cool i really loved you know i mean i only got to see um the one that was in the front office there and so these others are going to be in the buildings where um um so what we're going to do is in the front of our um In front of Big Bear Media right now, which is, uh, we have a visitor center, uh, a printing and mail operation, and then our tribal newspaper. Um, The the first three panels are here for right now, but their intended home is actually to be in the log homes. Mm -hmm. So that way they kind of fit into that time period of the story, because one of the log homes is about the Oneidas actually arriving um, in this territory 
and telling the story about when we first come here and some of the land loss that happens again, like, you know, repeating history. Um, it happens here in the Michigan territory until it becomes Wisconsin. Mm. So Wisconsin was once upon a time part of the Michigan territory? It was, it, it was. I did not realize that. And the Oneida land mass, I remember you told us, you know, how large it was, which was like crazy. I couldn't believe how, and, you know, and so much of it then, um, I, I guess you'd say was given away. Yeah. So it, when we came here, when we left New York, we had roughly six to 7 million acres of land. And slowly that was through a series of treaties was essentially lost. And at the point in, uh, during the 1820s, when it, it became apparent that um, there was still this encroachment of the settlers. And the problem is that you may have a, your block of land, but the settlers wouldn't even respect the boundaries of your, of your land. And so with this continued encroachment and different parties that didn't really want the Oneidas in the um, in New York, when we decided to come here in 1821, we came here and we signed a treaty for 6.7 million acres of land for about $1,500 and some provisions. So $1,500 for 6.7 million acres of land. That's crazy. So, so what happens over the course of after we get here? Um, the Menominees, uh, we did a treaty with the Menominee and the Ho Chunk nations. And a lot of Menominee women were married to fur traders and the fur traders understood the value of land. So they went to the chiefs and said, Hey, this is not a good deal. And so over, over a period of time, cause it, it's not like today where if you have a complaint, you know, throw up your email, send it over. So we're talking in 1831, the 6.7 million acres of land was reduced down to 500,000 acres. Wow. And the the reason, part of the reason why was that not all of the six nations came. So at the time, the Oneidas were part of the Iroquois Confederacy, which was the Seneca, Cayuga, Onondaga, Tuscarora, Mohawk, and then Oneida was the sixth. And because not all of those tribes came this way, they were like, well, we're going to reduce the land mass to 500,000 acres. And then after more policy from the United States government in 1887 happens was the Dawes Allotment Act, where, um, and they did this to every tribe. So it wasn't just Oneida. This was across the United States. And so we had 500,000 acres. Well, they came in and said, well, you know, head of household gets 90, a wife gets 25, and the kids get 10 acres of land. And so it accounted to, with the total of number of tribal members we had, it accounted for about 65,000 acres of land. So we went from 500,000 to 65,000 acres. And then when the Indian agent came back and he was like, well, I'm gonna cut up the reservation, it was, I'm gonna give you out of your 90 acres, I'll give you 30 acres up here, 25 over here, and you know the, the last down here. So they would split up the, you couldn't get the 90 acres all together. It was cut up amongst the reservation, which was eight by 12 miles in a rectangular shape. And so there's no way you could actually farm and go from one corner of the reservation to the other corner of the reservation because A, there weren't any roads. You know, there's a couple of main roads, but so it was easy to sell off that land mm. and, you know, buy a horse or, you know, work on getting your house. And so um, that policy came down the pipeline and it was, it was very, um, it was, it was very, it was, a, it was definitely devastating for our people. And I think part of the reason why was because when the Oneidas came here, it was still about the survival of everyone. Right. 
And then now you've, you've incorporated, you know, this individualism to, well, here's your property and here's your property and here's your property. And yes, they would still go and help each other, but it was easier again to sell off the land. And then the final policy was the creation of the town of Hobart in 1909. And the reason why they did that was they talked them into it. And then there's, there's some shady story that I did a film about, about how a guy went around and paid the different Oneidas. He was Oneida, which was really sad, but he got paid $2,000 to go around and pay the Oneidas to vote yes to creating a town, which would give them a road, more road money for roads and a telephone line. And the problem with that was that you still had a lot of Oneida people who didn't speak English. They spoke Oneida and they could read Oneida, but they couldn't speak English. So they didn't really understand the concept of taxes. Mm-hmm. So, and just like everywhere else, if you didn't pay your taxes, the marshals would come out and they would escort you off the property. So, so got escorted off a lot. They did. And uh, it, w- it was very sad because essentially they would show up and I mean, it's whatever you could load up in your wagon and, you know, go down, go down the road to a relative or someone else. And, and it was all because they really didn't educate them on what it meant. It's, it, it is, it's, and it was, it was sad because essentially a lot of people just lived off the land that they, mm-hmm. that they had owned so, I mean, there's, there's definitely uh, repeat and policies throughout the years. And one of the things that I talk about in the TED Talk, which is one of the threads that I do, is um, the fact that the us Oneidas, like for me today, I can stand here and say, which means I am Oneida. So they've never been able to take that from us. And it doesn't matter if we have zero land, if I can still say that then we Mm -hmm. still exist. So um, yeah, it's, it was, it's, I mean, again, good times, bad times in between times, and we're still here. Right, right. One of the things I would love to have you share a little bit about too, um, when we were out on the property, you know, just really close to the longhouse, there was, um, I think it was referred to as a medicinal garden. And I know I had taken a picture, it was kind of like a pine tree and it had a bear on either side. And um, I think a snake uh, on the back of a turtle that that was there. So what did they use? I mean, back when they were just living off the land and they were, you know, like you said earlier, they didn't wanna go to a hospital because it meant going in the front door and going out the back door in a pine box. So what did they use to keep one another healthy, um, maybe from that garden? So um, in that garden, I mean, there's, it's anything that you can find in nature. So whether it's bergamot, um, oh gosh, what else? Now I'm going to blank out here. Um, lavender. I mean, it's, it's everything. It is um, echinacea. It, it is all different types of plants that come from the wild. Mm-hmm. And we've actually identified, and we actually have a book on native plants that uh, one of the gals within our organization that she worked on it for years. And there's a, there's a few ladies um, that still go out today. And uh, a lot of people, they go out and they'll collect mainly like bergamot and um, some, there's like a, there's an elm that you can get. And so we still do that today where they slippery elm, that's what it is. Um, they'll make slippery elm tea. And so the medicinal garden in, in itself is, um, so for Oneida, we have all these different ceremonies. And one of the things that is like the core of, of Oneida is the Thanksgiving address. And the Thanksgiving address is actually something that we, Um, say when they would open or close ceremonies or special gatherings and the Thanksgiving address is actually um, 
it's made up of 19 different things that you give thanks to, whether it's the trees, the water, the winds, uh, Mother Earth, the three sisters. I mean, it's there's 19 different things that you that you give thanks to. So when you talk, there was a there was a statue there, and um, it was a turtle because the turtle represents Turtle Island, the land of which we stand on. Mm-hmm. And then the tree coming out of it is called the Great Tree of Peace. So years, I mean, this is way before there was ever Europeans on this continent. Um, the Iroquois nations were warring each other, and they um, there was a there was a point when the peacemaker came, and he met a, a man. His name was uh, Tanawanda, and and I hope I'm saying this right. If I'm if I'm not saying it right, then I want to apologize. I have to say that up front. Um, <laughs> they always say that anyways, and like you know, they apologize. Like if I say something wrong, I. I mean, no disrespect. So anyways, so the meat, the peacemaker comes and because um, he's, he's supposed to bring peace to the people. And Tanawando is the, is the first person that he meets that becomes uh, basically kind of like one of his principal people to help spread the, spread the word of peace. And um, something happens to his daughters. They all die suddenly um, due to a, a, there was this, I don't want to know, I'm not sure 100% what to call him. Uh, it was like an evil, like warlord, witch doctor sort of thing. And um, he was uh, with the Onondaga and he had like, his hair was like made of snakes. And so, and he, it was his, his dark magic that killed this man's um, daughters. So anyways, as um, time goes on, they slowly get all of the tribes to say, we're going to put down our weapons of war for peace with the exception of um, the, this, this evil warlord who is, uh, who is part of the Onondaga nation. And so the thing about it is now Tanawanda has to actually go to that nation and see this man who had killed his daughters. Whoa. <laughs> and so they end up talking to this clan mother. And um I apologize. I I can I cannot say her name. It's I anyways, so they go and they see this clan mother and she ends up going and seeing um the wicked Taadaho. So um Hi, I'm sorry, the gentleman's name was Hiawatha and Tada, who was the, um, the evil man with the snakes in hair, their hair. So they go and they see this clan mother and she's like, she's going to go and see him. So she calms him down and she actually starts to comb his hair. And she has this ability to actually um, comb out the snakes in his hair so that they'll come and be part of this whole um peace treaty basically oh wow and so okay. Hiawatha um so when all the tribes get together the peacemaker comes and that so that great tree of peace they pull out this great tree of peace which is a gigantic white pine they all bury their um their weapons of war underneath this this tree and so we actually have a wampum belt and I remember I showed you um, it's made up of real small shells. It was purple and white. Yes, uh, yes. The, it has like, it has like a square, a square. It's supposed to represent the tree of peace in the middle and then a square, a square. And, um, and each one represents uh, one of the nations of the Confederacy. So, so that's that, that statue out there that is the, the turtle with the tree is to represent that story and that wampum belt to be a, a, a reminder um, of, of peace, basically. And we got that statue when a lady, her name is Amelia Cornelius. Um, she had passed away from cancer, unfortunately. And she was such an incredible woman. She was one of our elders and she told stories. She made 
uh, she had a lifelong where she was giving to Oneida and and making sure that the um, the history and I mean even the stuff that our government has been able to do over the years to make sure that we're still here. Um, she was a part of that whole group of mm. that era of elders. So um, we have that statue out there for her and in the future. So when we look in the future for the medicinal garden, we're going to actually separate that garden out and kind of spread it to make it a little bigger um, because of COVID and we lost some of our employees. We haven't been able to give it as much attention as we, we normally had in the past. So right. well, I'm excited spring. about those. Yes. Yeah, so. definitely next spring. Um, and you and I had talked a little bit. There's um, an apple festival that you want to do as well um, that would probably coordinate with either next fall or 2023. Yeah. So in 2023, it's going to be our 200 year anniversary of coming to this territory. Mm -hmm. um, although like right now we have a 2021, we have a 200 years since we signed our first treaty but our first families actually came in 2023. So uh, we had created Apple Fest back in 2009 when we finished uh, five reconstructing five log homes because it's kind of like you build something, you have to do something with it. So they really right. wanted an event. So we started this event and um, and we came up with Big Apple because it was like, well, New York, Wisconsin, Big Apple, you know, everyone thinks you know, of New York as Big Apple. And so we did this event and it was great because we we were so happy if like 100 people would show up and like 500 people showed up. So then the next year it got bigger and it got bigger and then all of a sudden it was 8,000 people. And, um, and essentially it is one fantastic day of horse entertainment apple picking, farm animals, old time bingo, apple pie competition, farmer's market. It's all these elements of what you would find in a county fair, mm -hmm. but you don't have to pay anything. And that was the whole key behind Big Apple Fest is the fact that there are a lot of struggling families, um, both tribal and non-tribal. And to go to a county fair today is extremely expensive. And so we wanted to give back to um, give back to the community and our surrounding community. Mm -hmm. And so pretty much everything at Big Apple Fest is free. And um, just to see the kids running on hay bales and smiling and being crazy, it's just probably the best. It's the best thing that I can see. And it, I mean, it just makes me feel great. So is it going to be like in September of 2023 or early October? Uh, we usually do it the third Saturday in September. Okay. All right. Because I'll put it on my calendar so that I can be a part of it, maybe. I know you have to come. I know due to COVID, we, you know, we haven't been able to do it for the last couple of years. So it's um, been like. I can't sad. believe that we'll still have all these restrictions by then. Surely not. <laughs> I'm praying and not. Hmm. You know what would be fun if you haven't thought of this yet um, as a way to do some fundraising for those that would, you know, be interested. I would be interested, but, um, you know, like a little cookbook with different apple recipes that would go back to the early settler days. Um, you know, whether it was apple butter or apple muffins or whatever it might be, you know, because if everybody's making a pie for competition, they all have their own special little twist on uh, a pie or a cobbler. So that might be fun. They do. I have, there's one gentleman who actually sells honey at our farmer's market. And the first few years, he always seems to place, he has kind of like this apple custard pie. Ooh. <laughs> and it is so good. Oh my I God. Bet. When they're I doing bet. the judging for the apple pie competition. Uh-huh. So we get about 50 pies. And um, in the early days, we would have it where the judges would have to taste all the pies. Oh. <laughs> so one year I had to be a judge because it was like we had a judge that got sick and I had to be the judge. And I was like, I did not eat apple pie for like a year because I was like, oh, gross. <laughs> but we changed that now. So you have to only taste like 10 to 12 
10 to 12 pies. And then in, um, so if we have 50, you, you might have to change, you know, taste 10, maybe 12. And then we bring the top three forward in each of the, each of the sections, mm-hmm. sometimes four, if someone's like, you know, not hundred percent sure these two are tied. So, and then you only have, you don't, but you don't have to taste as many as, you know, 50 pies. So, but when they would do the tasting, so after the, the judging gets done, um, we will do kind of like a, uh, like a raffle, um, just kind of a flash raffle and we'll cut up the pies really quick because everyone gets slight, you can go through the line and then get a slice of pie. So when we know who the winners are, it's like, I just wait. And then as soon as we announce the winners, it's like, quick, take a picture. And it's like, we're going to cut up your pie. And it's like, I'm literally will take slices of pie and hide them underneath the stage. It's the best one. Oh my gosh. So when I lived in uh, Wisconsin, um, probably at least once a month, maybe twice a month, we would drive up to Door County. And in the fall, they had, you know, that's when all the apple orchards have uh, everything apple out. And the spring, it's everything cherry that's out. But there was a farm that's no longer functioning, which is really sad, um, called Richmond Farms. And it was right across from Gibraltar High School. Um, and they had the best apple fritters I've ever had in my life. And they kept them in a steamer. So, you know, when it was chilly and if you were up there at 10 o'clock in the morning or something, and it was still pretty chilly, um, there was nothing better than a cup of hot coffee and a warm apple fritter. They were just absolutely fabulous. And a lot of the ones that I've had here in Florida, they're heavy. The ones up there were very light, um, you know, it was uh, like eating a croissant, you know, that kind of a flakiness mm-hmm. as opposed to the real dense, heavy dough. So yeah, all things apple, all things cherry. Those are, that's Door County in, in a nutshell. <laughs> yes. um, but yeah, you could, you could probably uh, do pretty well with, you know, a little cookbook where everybody gives their secret recipes for wonderful um, recipes that uh, you, you might have, you know, just in the fall or at Thanksgiving time. I don't know, but it could be fun, but I will definitely put it on my calendar to try and make sure that I am back in your area for the uh, apple celebration. So um, the dream, I, I'm going to come back to that for just a minute. So in a way, what you've said so far is that the original dream never materialized. You know, they believed they were going to have all this land. They believed that this was going to be a wonderful place to live. They came and they cleared the land, you know, developed, you know, some roads, um, some homes, only to find out that the land was diminishing right before their eyes. And so, so many of your Oneida families that once had, you know, at least theoretically, they had a lot of property are now down to, you know, a very small amount by, by comparison, right? And I remember going, I mean, you had directed us how to find um, the Buffalo area and uh, there weren't any, they, they were someplace else. So we weren't able to actually see them, but we saw the observation area and uh, I posed by the big Buffalo statue that was there. Um, and how much land is in existence now for Oneida, Wisconsin? So we own, so we've been able, because we are blessed and we do have a casino, um, we spend a lot of our money that we earn back into the community. So there's a big chunk that's put back into purchasing land, um, education, healthcare, social services, uh, we invest back into our families and growing this place here. So we have since, um, I would say since the, the late 90s, they've purchased back roughly about 40% of the reservation. That's and awesome. It is. And so we do own about 9,000 agricultural acres and we do farm roughly 5,000 to 6,000 acres of land. Mm-hmm. Um, whether it's uh, 
different types of field crops, uh, 500 head of black Angus um, beef. They have about 150 head of uh, buffalo. And uh, we have an, a, a small uh, organic farm called Junhankwa that uh, raises white corn along with um, other fields that they, we have a corn growers group that has re really revitalized the white corn growing, uh, white growing white corn um, on the reservation. So it's kind of nice to see that, you know, every year they, they continue to buy back a little bit more, a little bit more. The unfortunate part is when you are buying back a little bit more, the price continues to get a little higher little higher, a little higher. Well, but, that's um, just land values though. I mean, in general. It is. So uh, it is, it is very, um, it's, it's for me, I, it's a sense of pride for Oneida to mm -hmm. um, see our property signs up all over in the country. Really? And, yeah, it is. It's, it's absolutely wonderful to see that. And hopefully in the future, they'll have even, we have some housing, there's, I mean, there's housing. We have about probably in and around the reservation, we probably have about four to 5,000 tribal members that live in this immediate area mm -hmm. um, out of a total of 17,000 tribal members that live across the world. Now, I know when I was there, and of course, that's been 20 years ago, but, um, you know, the focus on making sure that the elder population of Oneidas had the right kind of care. I mean, you've always been focused on education and it seemed to me like that was a new, a newer focus, you know, as you had aging members of the tribe that they weren't just discarded or, you know, like, I know you'll make it on your own, your family will take care of you. There was more of a, a health focus for the elders. Is that accurate? It is. And, you know, so since the, since the beginning of time, our, we've held our elders up in the highest regard, mm -hmm. but it is a goal to, to take care of them and to provide services and um, housing, different types of programs that can help them either stay independent or we have our own nursing home. So if, if unfortunately you would need to go to a nursing home, we, we have a nursing home where you can live in, we have elder apartments um, a variety of different services, even, you know, like my dad's 87 and, you know, they'll come and do his lawn or they'll, you know, plow out his driveway and, uh, and really anything, if something is broken in the house. So if he has a leaky faucet, you know, you just have to make a phone call and someone will come and fix that for you. I think and that's just amazing. I really do because you know, and when I went to China, and I know Japan is less this way, actually, than China, but I was in China about um, oh, 25 years ago. And um, even then, their focus was on taking care. I mean, the extended family went from the little one that was just born, you know, up to the 95-year-old, you know, that was there. And so I think it's so wonderful that regardless of whether you're Native American or, or whatever culture you're from, you know, it's not just about the young people. It's not just about middle-aged people that are still producing, but it's the, the focus from birth to death, whenever that happens, and being inclusive and making sure that everyone is taken care of. And I think the Oneidas are doing a wonderful job, and they were even when I was there. Yeah, I mean, I think that... We, we do, I think there's still more work to be done because there's, you know, some elders out there who don't have a lot of family and mm -hmm. must be very lonely for them. So there's always more that we can do, but uh, we're, I think we're headed in the right direction. You know, one of the things that, um, and I don't know that Green Bay is doing this um, in your area, but um, a lot of the schools, the colleges, when they're building apartments now for their students, because uh, my granddaughter was in one of these and they had four large bedrooms and then they had a joint um, community living room, kitchen, and then they had this humongous bathroom, you know, with two great big showers on either side. 
Um, and so you lived in groups of like four. And I think they're beginning to do that with seniors, you know, that don't want to go into like assisted living facilities. They're still very mobile, um, but they can have their own room and then they can have, you know, like a, a joint area, but it's community. They kind of look after each other in a way. And um, so maybe that's where we're going to end up going as the baby boomers, which I'm one of, but, you know, the baby boomers uh, are aging and, you know, I, I want to live in place as long as I possibly can and maybe, you know, permanently live in place. But not everybody, like you said, has family around. And so if they don't, then the other people that are living with them become their family and they look after each other. So have you guys thought about anything like that with the Oneida Nation? I think that a concept similar to that has been talked about um, where they had like a, um, really small houses, like a, like a little mini village, mm -hmm. really small uh, different houses. One of the, when they first built the apartment, we have, so we have um, elder apartments and they are actually in the shape of a longhouse. So they're okay. long, skinny buildings, and then they're all connected together with hallways. And um, and so I think that that was kind of a part of it. But I, I do like that concept. My sister lived in a, a dorm that was similar to that. And I think that that would be even better is, you know, as long as you had, you know, four fun elders living together. Mm -hmm. And not fighting with each other. And not one big crabby one that I think uh, <laughs> I'd be in. Me and my sister will move in. Well, well one of the things that you can always do, and uh, actually, this would not be a bad idea, you know, like rather than just saying whoever signs up, signs up, but um, do a personality test um, <laughs> that basically showed can like a Myers-Briggs, you know, a Myers-Briggs test is not about evaluating the personality it's seeing whether they can communicate well together and so maybe you have a little mini test that sees whether you know x y and z can all live together harmoniously <laughs> and then from there you you move forward i don't know you know but it, it would be a family affair for sure and you wouldn't want like you said to have a lot of um unrest because that's not healthy on any level for people right. that are living together. So, <laughs> oh my goodness. Well, um, so in a nutshell, the dream, you know, which was our topic is it's evolving. It, it was a dream. It became, I would say, almost a nightmare for the Oneida Nation in many respects, because like many Native Americans, they were taken advantage of. And now it's becoming a dream again. Is that safe to say? Yeah, you know, it's slowly, you know, the, the one thing about COVID is it, it showed us a lot of our weaknesses as mm -hmm. far as uh, financial stability, because we do still rely a lot on our casino for the majority of our funding. Right. But, you know, now everything seems to be kind of getting back to normal, not quite at the same level, but getting back to normal. And, you know, in my area, we, so in the area of tourism, like we really do have some really cool stuff that are, is going to be coming up because we have to get ready for 2023, whether it's, um, we want to make sure that our log homes. So when people come to visit that they're fully accessible with ramps and, um, all the accessible trails, uh, we want to have a small theater. We want to, um, create actually around the longhouse, we want to create a palisade. So like this big wall that they was, would have had in the past, um, which would, which would definitely be if you were standing outside of the wall and I started talking about the edge of the woods ceremony, or you'd have to wait by the edge of the woods to see if we we're going to let you in. It would really feel like you were by the edge of the woods. <laughs> so, uh, okay. so between that and we have this great Oneida uh, Veterans Memorial that um, we have to, we have a few accessibility issues over there and it's a 175 foot monument and they just installed the Purple Heart Monument for the state of Wisconsin out there also. So it's going to turn into this really nice uh, veterans park. Um, and, you know, 
And the, the whole reason to keep pushing and keep doing uh, different projects like that is to ensure that again, in, in, this, in seven generations, I will not be here, but that our story is continued to be told. Yes. Yeah. And really that's, that's my dream is that, you know, I have created enough, enough things with technology or physical things, or we three pre 3d print things um, so that our story continues on and, and somebody will take that and run with it. Right. And, and someday it'll all be holograms. <laughs> it will be, it will yeah. be. And you'll be able to interact with them. <laughs> That would be actually pretty cool. It would be doing yeah. that. In one of, I, th- I don't know what museum it is, but I feel like that is being done somewhere. And how cool would that be is to have a hologram of a native man or a native woman standing in the entry of the longhouse saying, Sigoli is going to go. And, you know, so you come on in. So, right. Right. Awesome. Well, I loved having you on my show and I know that your TED talk is going to be incredibly successful on Sunday. I'll be anxious to see it as well. So um, I, uh, if anybody wants to get hold of you because they, I don't know, want to have you be on their show or they would love to uh, hear more, um, you know, about your culture and use you as a consultant or something, how would they go about reaching you, Michelle? Um, they can actually email me at M D A N F as in Frank O R the number eight at Oneida nation.org. Okay. All right. Very good. And I will also have that on the different podcast platforms. So anybody can click on it and, and get to you that way as well. Wonderful. Well, thank you again for being my guest and for everybody listening. If you know, you miss um, this show, you know, in a live capacity, then please go the uh, shows that are archived. I think there's 180 of them now, but uh, you can, you know, archive any of the past shows at www.synergyconnectionradio.com. And otherwise, I hope you go out there and make this your very best life. And we will see you next time. Bye-bye, everybody. Boomers Forever Young is really making a name for themselves as an exciting nutritional company with products that really work. People from all over the country are starting to take notice. Their whole person approach to health and wellness, combined with their unique array of powerful natural health products, are setting them apart from all the other companies in the nutrition industry. Their customers love the one-on-one free consultations and the results they experience. Sound a little too good to be true? Then go online to boomerboost.com today and sign up for a free consultation with a product specialist or just give us us a call at 1-800-861-4609. Again, that's boomerboost.com or call 1-800-861-4609 to join the thousands already experiencing the benefits of Boomers Forever Young products.